fear and going after something that's that's kind of bigger than what you are used to or maybe you don't know if you can do it that fear is a good thing it means that you're going after something kind of bigger than you and it means you're going to push your boundaries it means you're going to be able to test yourself and you know i don't think that you can find so like growth as much anywhere else if you're not pushing yourself and, and doing something that scares you a little bit, whether that's, you know, out on the trails and you're you're going after an FKT or if you're, you know, challenging yourself with a rock climb or if you're, you know, like pushing yourself in your job and your work or family or something like that, you know, it's, you know, going after something that, that makes you uncomfortable is, is I think really important. Welcome back to the Yogi Triathlete Podcast. We are Jess and BJ, and we love shining a light on people who are doing what they love in this life. People who remind us that taking risks is a part of the deal, but perhaps our appropriate pace and relative safety are within our ability to assess risk. I think our guest today would agree as she considers risk assessment as one of her greatest strengths. Ashley Winchester is an adventure journalist, outdoor guide, endurance athlete, host of the Women in the Wild podcast, and someone who is well on her way to being the first female to claim 100 fastest known time routes. Ashley is the queen of FKTs. She's putting herself out there and putting in the work. She has succeeded in claiming over 50 FKT routes to date. And with her partner, Jason Hardroth, by her side, there seems to be no end to the heights Ashley will reach. And I know she knows that she's not going to reach those heights with that challenge because discomfort is where we grow. We're so looking forward to this conversation. Ashley, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm very excited to be here. Yeah, I, I'm really excited to have you here. And as, as of course, you know, because you've been the other part of the, getting this podcast put together, it's been a while. I think we were first in touch about a year ago. And, uh, and I want to thank our, uh, one of our athletes on the team, Jody, who is, uh, you know, big fan of yours and somebody who's out there doing amazing things on the trails as a woman in the wild. I uh, want to thank her because she's the one that brought you and Jason into our awareness. So we'll be coming after him probably next. Mm-hmm. Oh, excellent. Good. Yeah. He, he, he actually told me like, that's, that's a podcast I haven't been on yet. Like he was, <laughs> I was like, well, I got there first. <laughs> I like it. Good. Yeah. You take the lead here. It's perfect. Okay. So for people who don't know what an FKT is, can you like, what is that? How would yeah. you describe it to someone? Yeah, so fastest known time, or FKT as we like to call them, is uh, basically a speed record on an established route. And that route could be across a desert, through canyons, over mountains. Um, sometimes it's one mountain. Sometimes it's a link up of mountains. Sometimes it's around the mountain. Sometimes it's on trails and sometimes there's off-trail navigation. Um, but basically it's it's a speed record on an established route. And I've heard you say like off trail. So is off trail like, <laughs> this This sounds like a pretty stellar question. Is that off trail? Like you're kind of bushwhacking your way on the route? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So off trail is, is truly off trail. It's, um, you know, no, no trail to follow. Um, off trail sections in FKTs, there's usually a general direction 
or a place that you need to get to, and you kind of have to figure out how to get there on your own. So, for example, there's actually an FKT that goes from the northernmost point of Death Valley to the southernmost point of Death Valley, and it is 100% off trail. It does not follow trail or roads or anything the entire way. So you have to plan your route ahead of time, have really good maps, um, good route finding skills, and um, you know be able to to navigate. And I think you have some unfinished business um, for a, 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 an, FK, route, yeah. an FKT <laughs> attempt on yeah. that route. Am I correct? <laughs> yes, you are correct. Um, that one, I, I've actually attempted it twice, um, and I have not succeeded both times, um, and for a variety of reasons. Part, partly because, um, you know, maybe the first time I didn't plan super well. Um, I actually, on the first go at it, because of the nature of Death Valley there's and the nature of this route, it's typically done in a completely unsupported style. And unsupported with FKTs means that you are not taking help from anybody. You're not caching any um, supplies ahead of time. You're not, um, you know, you don't leave anything for yourself along the way before you start the route. So you carry everything that you need from the start for the entire thing. Um, and you don't leave anything behind either. Um, so you have to, you know, pack out what you pack in um, and follow all the wilderness regulations and everything like that. So um, this route through Death Valley is typically done in an unsupported fashion. So no help. And it being Death Valley, there's really no drinkable water along the route. And so you have to carry all of your water from the start that you need for the entire thing. And it's about 165 miles long. Um, so it's a lot of water. <laughs> um, the first time I tried it, I think I started with 15 and a half liters of water. And right around the 100 mile mark, I was down to four liters already. And I'd already, I was out there for two and a half days. Um, so you, you kind of fly through the water. Um, so I, I knew I wouldn't be able to finish out 65 miles on four liters of water. So I decided to exit at the easiest point um, where I was at that at that point. So um, yeah, it was the first go. The second time I tried it, I actually um, took 20 liters of water, kind of expecting, you know, it's Death Valley. It's going to be warm. It, um, typically, this route is done in the wintertime so that you're not actually battling, you know, 120 degree <laughs> weather. Mm -hmm. But it still gets pretty warm during the day if the sun's out. So um, I was expecting it to be warm. I took 20 liters of water with me. Um and I ended up in a huge rainstorm and I got rained out. <laughs> um, and because I got caught in a rainstorm, I actually, a lot of my stuff got soaked and um, it was dropping down into the 30s in the evenings at night. And so I knew that it was kind of bad going forward um, at that point. So I decided to pull the plug on that one um, for personal safety reasons. Um, and I actually was about to go back just this last February, so last month. And um, I ended up, as I was guiding on a big mountain in Argentina, on Aconcagua, I actually got COVID up at Camp 2, so above 18,000 feet, and um, ended up having to recover from that for most of February. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I actually missed the window for it this year. Um and hopefully I'll I'll get to go back next winter 
to to try it again. Is there somebody who has the fastest? Like, is this an established route? Somebody's already have somebody already has the fastest time. So you're shooting yeah. to beat that time. Yeah. yeah. So it, it's an established route. Actually, no woman has completed the crossing unsupported yet. Um, there have been multiple tries, and I mean, not just my two, but other women have tried it. Um, it's really, really challenging. I mean, you think about Death Valley and you're like, well, it's just all flat and like salt pan, right? But it's not. It's it's very hard to navigate. Um, you're walking through really wa- uh, rocky washes and, um, you know, through a lot of sand. You go through sand dunes. You go through mud pits. I mean, it is, it's really, really challenging. Um, and so on a map, it, you know, it's kind of misleading because it looks flat. And you're like, oh, I can do that. I can walk through a dry riverbed all day. Um, but it, it is, it is very difficult. Um, so yeah, I would, I would love to be the first woman to complete the unsupported crossing. Um, there actually was a recent, uh, a guy, Cameron, um, he just did it last February around the same time that I, that I was going to do it. And he got a new fastest known time on it, which, I mean, it's kind of actually a blazing speed for that route. It's like he did it in just under five days, I think. Wow. Wow. Okay. So, so FKTs can be anything. What's the shortest one? So if that's like, that would, I would assume is a longer one, five, or maybe it's not even a long one. What's a short one? Um, I mean, FKTs can be any, any length, really. There are FKTs out there that are one or two miles long. Um, You know, the, the, kind of rules surrounding FKTs, the ethics surrounding FKTs, is that it needs to be a um, classic and repeatable route. So something that somebody from, you know, on the other side of the United States would want to come and repeat because it's cool. And so I know specifically in Connecticut, there's a bunch of really, really short FKTs um, on these like historic trails that are over there. So, you know, one, two, three, eight miles long, um, but they can range anywhere from, you know, uh, a couple of miles to, you know, the whole Pacific Crest Trail. Um, and then some, you know, there's, there's a FKT on the Triple Crown. So, um, you know, you can FKT the Appalachian Trail, the Pacific Crest Trail, and the Continental Divide Trail as one FKT. <laughs> No, those are clearly like <laughs> cool routes, but who's determining that it's cool enough to be an established route? Like, is there a governing body? Yeah. So, um, FKT, it's, it's a community of people. It's not really governed by any one person specifically. FKTs, the initial kind of governing body was developed by Buzz Burrell and Peter Backlin. And they kind of started this whole idea of FKTing um, by just running classic routes really fast. And so they did the John Muir Trail um, and they started this like online forum. And FKTs have grown so much now that there's actually, um, there are people in different areas of the US and around the world now that actually sort of check routes make sure that they kind of qualify for what an FKT should be. And then um, they also verify FKT submissions. And so these people, you know, like if somebody submits a new route, which you can do if you have a, a route in your neck of the woods or one that, that you know of um, that you want to run as an FKT, you can submit that route as an FKT and it gets approved pretty much by, um, you know, these uh 
regional managers, kind of. And um, once it's approved, then people can run the FKT. You have to actually record it on some kind of GPS. You have to take pictures. Um, you know, you write a report afterwards and you submit all of this evidence um, that you did the FKT and it gets approved and posted. Um, so that's kind of how it works. Yeah, so you better love the process. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a, a lot. <laughs> it's a process. And, you know, you don't have to create your own FKTs. There are people out there who are, you know, they use that as their creative outlet. And that's super cool. I've created a few FKTs myself. Um, I have plans to create some more. Um, it's a fun thing to do, but you don't have to do that. Like you can go find an FKT on the FKT website that you're like, okay, this one gets me excited and I'm going to go run this and see if I can beat the time or establish, you know, the first time or whatever. Um, and, you know, you just have to make sure you record and submit evidence that you did it. So on a, so on a lower, lower, lower scale than that, we would be looking at like Strava segments. I don't know if you're familiar with Strava, but yeah, you can create yeah. segments which are super short. And this was, the, I discovered this during COVID when everything was shut down. I'm like, okay, we're not racing. This is something cool to go check out. And then I did exactly that. I created a segment, but it's not a classic because nobody has done it except just me. <laughs> and so we're like the king and queen of this three mile, like up and down, up and down. But I totally get it. Like I, I just started looking for things that were already established, things that I kind of thought possible was in my reach. Maybe after a few tries, I could get there, but it became that allure to me or allure to me um, with no racing. It actually like pulled me in a little bit. Um, yeah. Yeah. FKTs really blew up um, in 2020 when all of the races were canceled. Um, you know, everybody needed a, a reason to use their fitness and wanted something to, you know, give themselves a, a goal to, to aim for. And so FKTs really grew substantially in 2020. So tell us how you got into this. Like, how do you get to be, you know, the leader, the female leader of FKTs <laughs> across the globe? <clears throat> you know, were you a runner your whole life? Like, do you have to be super fast? Like, how did you get into this? And um, yeah, tell us that story. Well, this is actually kind of the fun part. And what gets me really excited about FKTs is I've never been a super fast runner. I've always been, you know, in races, kind of a middle of the pack sort of person. Like I, I was never outstanding. I did better in longer distances. So ultra races, um, I've placed second in one ultra distance race that I did. And, um, so I never considered myself an outstanding runner and I didn't actually start running until a little bit later in life. Um, I was, you know, in my mid twenties when I started running later, you know, later twenties when I started running. So I've only been running for, well, I guess now like 12 or 13 years, but, um, not to date myself, but, um, yeah. So I, you know, I, I haven't been running my whole life. I, I never did track and field in high school. You know, I didn't run cross country. Um, I started running simply for fitness reasons, um, you know, in my, my mid twenties and, um, just really enjoyed it. And especially once I found the trails, I, that's where I really, uh, found a lot of joy in running. And, um, as far as FKTs went, you know, that's something they were always kind of on my radar. 
Um, as I, you know, the more I got into running, it's like you hear about these FKTs on the rim to rim to rim of the Grand Canyon and these blazing fast speeds on the John Muir Trail. And, you know, I, I was always attracted to the idea because I, I just really love being in the wilderness on my own. I've never been a huge fan of races um, and the fanfare and the competition. And I just really love the peace of being in the wilderness, you know, on my own. And so FKTs definitely drew my attention because of that. But because I've never been, you know, a, a first place runner, I've always been kind of a middle of the pack runner. I I just thought that they were out of my reach. And it wasn't until I met Jason and... Jason started doing these really big mountain link-ups and, and like, you know, things like, you know, running around Crater Lake and tagging all the, the seven highest peaks. And it was kind of like, wow, that's really cool stuff. I want to do that. But then he started submitting them as FKTs. And I kind of went, wait a second, like, I want to do this stuff. Um, that sounds really cool. And I ended up going after an FKT, just uh, an obscure FKT um, in the Bay Area in California and got the FKT and kind of went, all right, game on. Like, this is cool. I like this. And so I do credit Jason for for kind of convincing me to start doing them. And um, he definitely, out of the two of us, he discovered it first. But um, I definitely, uh, you know, hooked right into it. So you mentioned, you know, you love to be on the trail by yourself, but we live in this society that has, you know, conditioned us women that we should feel fear, that we are not safe when we're on the trail. And um, did you did you come up against that kind of conditioning or programming in your own mind or just being out there and being in that freedom and, and realizing that you were actually safe, that that fell away? Yeah, I... You know, I never, I've never felt that fearful in the outdoors. I was taught as a kid, you know, as a woman, as a girl growing up, that the things to fear are people, pretty much. And so, you know, like as women, we're taught at a young age to, you know, carry your keys in between your fingers when you're walking alone to your car at night. And, you know, like there's all these things, always keep your front door locked. You know, you're, you're always super aware of your surroundings. You never park, you know, you always park underneath the light at the grocery store. When you go at night, there's all these things that we're conditioned to, um, like to be very aware and be fearful. But I am really lucky in that I grew up in a way that I was outdoors all the time when I was a kid. Um, my parents, my mom, she kicked us out as kids outside and we would go and run off into the wilderness <laughs> on our own. Um, and, you know, I, I think because of the way I was brought up and because I learned that you know, people are the ones to fear. I actually feel so much safer out on the trails in the wilderness than I do walking down the streets alone most of the time. I've had more weird interactions with humans in a city than I have out on the trail. Um, and so I actually feel pretty safe out there. I mean, I know there's, there's animals, you know, there's bears and mountain lions, but I honestly, all of the I don't know, hundreds of hours and days and weeks that I've spent on the trails, I, I've i never had a bad experience with wildlife. I mean, I've had run-ins with bears, 
seen plenty of mountain lion signs. I, you know, but lots of run-ins with coyotes. I've never had any issues and I've had issues with humans in the city. So yeah, (laughs) I, I, I feel, I feel safer out there personally. What would you say to somebody who, a, a woman specifically, who's, and, and you know what? It might not even be a woman. It could be uh, a man as well, who is really like, I want to get into the, I want to get into this, but I do have that fear. Yeah, I know. So that fear is pretty deeply ingrained in a lot of us. And I think the best way to do it is to start slow. Um, you know, find a trail that's near a place that you feel safe um, you know, you don't have to go very far on it. Just get yourself out there, go to the trailhead, walk a quarter mile up the trail, evaluate how you feel. And then, you know, if you feel a little uncomfortable, that's okay. You can push a little bit further. Um, and one thing that I've found is with, with people, I mean, I want to say women, but with, with people, once they start kind of getting out there and, and feeling comfortable and getting to know the, their local trails, I think that's a huge part too, is just kind of like getting to know the local trail system so that you don't ever feel lost. And so that takes a little bit of exploration, take a map with you, have a map loaded on your phone, take your GPS, you know, anything like that, that makes you feel more comfortable that you can get back to your vehicle safely. Um, you know, but I, I think it, I think it's just good to start slow and, and just kind of slowly expose yourself to the outdoors and and being alone on the trail or take a friend with you first um, and kind of get more comfortable out there and, and with the terrain and everything. And then, of course, you know, take stuff with you that that makes you feel like you could handle a situation if something were to come up, um, you know, take snacks, take extra layers, take liquids, take um, personal protection if you want to, pepper spray. I used to run with pepper spray all the time because there was that, you know, fear that was there that I was going to run into a person. I Actually, maybe I shouldn't say this <laughs> publicly, but I stopped carrying pepper spray um, because I lost it during an FKT. And I just ever since just never, <laughs> never bought another one. I love um, it. Mother, Mother Nature was like, like I'll, take that. I'll take that. You don't need that. Yeah. Why are you carrying this? You know, you don't need that. Just leave yep. it behind. No, I think yeah. you can feel safe saying that. You know, I used to do the same thing. I used to buy pepper spray and then um, then it was like, you know, four or five years old. I'm like, how do I even know if, you know, it's like in the junk drawer in the kitchen. I was like, oh, I guess I should grab it. And then I just was like, no, I, you know, it's, it's, um, it's paying mm-hmm. attention to your surroundings. It, I love how you said, evaluate how you feel. Um, and I think that that can really play into what I mentioned in the intro too, is like that risk assessment, right? And I think that your progress forward is honor where you are and be, be, allow your experience to be relative to that, but also don't let where you are hold you back and keep you away from something that's been tugging on you that, that you want to pursue and experience in this life. Yeah. Yeah. It's that, it's that discomfort and kind of embracing that discomfort. And if you're able to kind of evaluate where you're at and go, okay, am I being fearful because there's actually something to be scared of? Or am I being fearful because of you know, my mind is running away with some scenario that's probably not going to work out <laughs> in reality. Um, you know, and being able to kind of dissect those things um, and, you know, figure out, is this discomfort something that I can manage? And if so, like, keep 
pushing forward and, and see where you go. That's when I first started running trails, I've always been a hiker. Um, you know, I've, I've always loved being outdoors on the trails, but I, I started running trails and that brought like a whole nother level of, um, exploration and route finding for me. And, you know, when I first started running trails, it was, it was a little bit scary because, you know, if I didn't know the trails, I didn't know where, you know, this intersection took me, or if I went this way, would I get lost and not be able to find my way back? Um, and that's where having, you know, the map on my phone or something like that, a GPS where I know exactly where I'm at, um, was super helpful. And for me, one of the things that really drew me further and further, um, was curiosity and exploration. I'm very, very driven by curiosity. And, you know, I would, I would start wondering what's around the next corner. What's over that next hill? What's down this trail? And I usually go that way, but what's down this way? And so kind of allowing that natural curiosity, that childlike curiosity to kind of come out um, also helps to sort of drive you forward. Well, that's that split moment. What, you're, what I feel uh, connected to what you're saying is you, you can change that fear because fear and, and, and excitement come from the same part uh, in the body. So you can you can actually flip that fear around and, and turn it into something so exciting and and um, and engaging and 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 unknown. Even though that adds a little bit of fear to be something that you may want to start seeking. Like you start seeking these avenues that you've never been to before. Do you feel like you're getting into that place where you're like, oh, I, I'm after not after discomfort, but after something that is extremely challenging that you know, maybe in the back of your mind, just a little bit, there's a little bit of fear that wants to hold you back. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's a quote and I might not, I might destroy it by trying to repeat it right now, but it's, it's something along the lines, you know, if, if your goal doesn't scare you, then it's not big enough. And I love that because it reminds me that fear and going after something that's, that's kind of bigger than what you are used to, or maybe you don't know if you can do it. That fear is a good thing. It means that you're going after something kind of bigger than you. And it means you're going to push your boundaries. It means you're going to be able to test yourself. And, you know, I don't think that you can find so like growth as much anywhere else if you're not pushing yourself and, and doing something that scares you a little bit, whether that's, you know, out on the trails and you're, you're going after an FKT or if you're, you know, challenging yourself with a rock climb or if you're, you know, like pushing yourself in your job and your work or family or something like that, you know, it's, you know, going after something that, that makes you uncomfortable is, is I think really important. Well, with, I'm glad you're, you're, you, move to that because it was something we come up against so often and something we experience ourselves and you experience, but other people, it sort of like paralyzes them is you're in this job that is comfortable and it's known and it's okay, yet it's not making you happy or you feel like there's something else out there. And so how you were in vet medicine for, for 13 years and I'm assuming it was, you were comfortable there and you loved it. Um, but but something has to pull you away from that comfort zone to push you into the unknown. We did it ourselves. We quit our jobs and, you know, packed up, sold our house and moved across the country. And yes, it's, it's unfamiliar and scary, but now they're on the other side of it. And I'm sure you are too. It's like, why didn't we start this sooner? So how did, how did you butt up against that when you left your, your profession? 
Yeah, that was, I, that was a really scary change for me. Um, because of the enormity of it. I mean, veterinary medicine isn't easy. And, you know, my job, I was a veterinary assistant in that kind of specialized in internal medicine. And so I was kind of a really important part of this team of people, a small team of people um, within the hospital. And I I was in it for so long that I, I was actually really comfortable there. Um, I knew what I was doing. I also, you know, was learning constantly. It, it definitely pushed me as far as, um, you know, my ability to focus and stay on my feet and just, you know, respond really quickly. And there were so many things that were really amazing about it, working with the animals, the people that I worked with. Um, but I definitely got to a point where I, in that job, I wasn't feeling the joy anymore. Um, in veterinary medicine, it's there's kind of this general idea that if you are there, that is what your world revolves around. Your life revolves around vet med and the animals. And I, my dog had passed away. I was definitely starting to pursue other, you know, mountain objectives and rock climbing objectives. And my priorities started to shift away from my job. And so I made the decision to pursue something that was more in line with what I wanted out of my life, with which was a little bit more freedom. I wanted to be in the outdoors more. I wanted to try and, you know, centralize the outdoors in, in my life. And um, I knew that wasn't going to happen working at the, at the vet. And so I made the, the decision to move away from there. And it was really terrifying, um, especially going from something that was so, you know, I worked 40 to 60 hours a week. I was guaranteed a paycheck um, to freelance writing, <laughs> which is kind of volatile with how much, uh, how much you make every month and how much work is coming in and, and everything like that. So it was a really scary transition for me. And actually, in order to make that happen, had to give up a lot of other things in my life, like my own apartment. Um, you know, I, I ended up, well, now I actually van life. And so I don't pay rent at all, which helps me kind of pursue these, these other things on the, on, on the side. Um, but yeah, it was, it was really, really scary. And, but I knew the thing that I ask myself a lot when making big decisions like that is like, will I regret not doing it? Will I regret not giving this a try? Um, and that has been a huge driver for me in my decision-making, because if I'm going to regret not trying it, then I like, I, I have to try it. Like I, I have to, one of the things that people say on their, you know, as they age and, and, you know, are on their deathbeds, they, they regret the things that they didn't do, not the things that they did. And so I don't want to be one of those people, you know, in, in my old age, who's looking back and going, man, I wish I had tried that. I wish I had, you know, tried the van life. I wish that I had, you know, tried freelance writing. I, I, I just can't stand the thought of being one of those people. And so, um, I, I decided to take the plunge and, and go for it. And I've been really lucky because, um, Jason, my partner is, has been incredibly supportive <laughs> throughout this whole thing. And, um, you know, during the, the times where I didn't have a lot of work, he definitely helped, uh, helped keep me afloat. <laughs> um, so it is, it is helpful to have people 
uh, who support you. Um, but it's totally possible, even if even if you don't have that kind of support. I love how you said at least three times how terrifying it was because <laughs> I think that's very that was my experience like terrifying and um but I I would choose it a hundred more times I I would absolutely even knowing what I know now um I would absolutely choose it again. And so the experience of it being terrifying and the experience of, I mean, you're going from a full-time job where you've got this steady paycheck to, it's not like you went over to, oh, well, then I did this other full-time job, but I was working, you know, online so I could be remote. There was, there was no real ease. It just went into like sporadic income through writing. But my experience is that even though it's terrifying and I want to hear your, your, experience on this is, but I kept seeing, I kept seeing things in my life, like conspire in a way where I had exactly what I needed all the time. And so then you get to look at that fear or those terrifying moments and be like, okay, I'm in it right now. And I'm fine. I'm yeah. fine. Yeah. And I think you get to evaluate sort of what, what the things are in your life that you, that are requirements and, and what you can kind of live without. And, and that was a big deal for me too. You know, like having my own apartment and living alone was not a hundred percent necessary. And so it was one of those things that I could cut out, you know, I cut out Netflix, I cut out any bills that, you know, that I possibly could to decrease my, my monthly spending. Um, and yeah, it was, it was, it was really satisfying to be able to kind of jump into something like that and sort of know that no matter what happened, even if, even if things didn't work out, even if, you know, the writing thing, you know, it turned out that I was a horrible writer and nobody wanted me to write for them. Um, even if that were true, I knew that I would figure it out. Um, I knew that I would be safe. I wasn't going to end up on the streets, you know, without a place to stay with no clothes on my back. You know, I knew that that wasn't a possibility. And so that also helped kind of make me feel a little bit better. You know, worse come to worse. If, if things really got bad, it's like my mom would take me in in a heartbeat, you know, it's like, so there's always something to fall back on. And I knew, I just knew that I, you know, it was worth the risk no matter what. So that knowing, I love that, like the knowing, and we too, we were like, the worst thing that could happen is we move back to Massachusetts and we stay with our you know, our parents, although, you know, last resort to go back, move in when you're in your 40s. Um, but how do you just know? And I know this might be a tough question, but you're, you're, you're explaining like you just knew. And I think a lot of us don't know, like we don't know what we want to do. Maybe we see signs and maybe it's an awareness thing. Maybe it's an awareness like you started seeing signs of being outdoor and it, outdoors and making that the central focus. But how do you know the pull is strong enough uh, to take that leap, if that, if that makes sense. I know it might be a general question. Yeah. I mean, I knew, I knew that I needed a change because I wasn't happy where I was at. And I had spent a lot of years being unhappy. I, I was in a, an abusive relationship for about eight years and I got myself out of that and started to just 
do things for myself and started to find my own happiness. And, and it got to this point where I, I knew that in order to be happy, I was going to have to change jobs. I was going to have to figure something out. And the, the writing thing just felt good. I've always enjoyed writing. I, I actually wrote a business plan, um, for a, a climbing gym that I was trying to open, um, while I was, while I was working at the VAT, I was trying to uh, open this climbing gym and in the town that I was in. And, um, that didn't end up working out, but I, I wrote this 40 plus page, um, business plan for this climbing gym. And I kind of was like, I sort of liked that. That was enjoyable. Like I'm kind of okay at this writing thing. And so, um, was able to, to kind of network and meet some people who were freelance writers and got connections and then just kind of ran with it. As soon as I got an income stream from it, I, I just was like, okay, this, this is doable. Um, but I mean, the, the knowing, you know, the knowing that I'm going to be okay, that took a little bit of work. Um, because, you know, when you're changing your life that drastically, um, it's really easy to kind of think about the, the worst thing that could happen, you know, and the worst thing that could happen, I guess, is that I end up on the street, you know, sleeping in front of, you know, somebody's door on downtown or something like that. But when you really think about it, is that really a possibility? Well, no, I have friends who care about me. I have family who cares about me. Um, I could always go back to the vet, you know, (laughs) like they'd take me back in a heartbeat and I knew all of those things. And so it was kind of like, you know, why not? Why not give it a chance? I'm, I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not gonna end up on the street and I'm always going to have the opportunity to work back at, you know, where I was. So why not go for it? And because you went after this expansion of what you love in your life, like it is also led to other professional opportunities like becoming a guide. So how did, when does that come into your life? Yeah. Um, the guiding thing was kind of, I feel like it was, it was, <laughs> it was an accident. Um, <laughs> I started climbing Mount Shasta, um, and I was climbing Mount Shasta fairly frequently. Um, every year I would go up a different route. I just kind of really enjoyed, started to enjoy the, the mountain. And just for those who aren't familiar with Mount Shasta, Mount Shasta is a, a over 14,000 foot uh, peak. It's 14,179, um, in Northern California. And it's a, uh, one of the Cascade volcanoes and it's just this massive mountain. You can see it from I-5, you know, when you're driving through California, this huge mountain that just kind of like pops up out of nowhere. And, um, I totally fell in love with that mountain and started my mountaineering journey there, started climbing other peaks. And then, um, I actually just randomly <laughs> sent an email to Shasta Mountain Guides. Um, and, you know, they're a, a guiding business in, in Mount Shasta City and was like, hey, this is my experience. I would love the opportunity to be a guide or apprentice as a guide or something like that. And they got back to me and were like, yeah, let's, let's, let's see what you can do sort of a thing. And so I went to guide training and, um, yeah, and I, this this upcoming season will be my third season with Shasta Mountain Guides, and because of that, I, you know, that was another thing that was really scary for me was kind of putting myself out there and going, well, I don't, 
I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm just going to put myself out there and, and see. And to my great surprise, I, you know, they, they took me on as a guide and, um, you know, it's, it's kind of taking those risks, the risks of, you know, being turned down, um, of maybe not feeling good enough because they said no, um, that, you know, you have to take those risks too. And, and those can be really scary because nobody likes to be turned down. Nobody likes to be told, no, you know, we don't want you or you're not good enough or, or you don't have enough experience. That's what I was expecting was you don't have enough experience. Um, and now, you know, I've, I've established myself with this really wonderful group of people in Mount Shasta. <laughs> um, and, you know, I, I absolutely love working there and I love guiding there. And because of that, that whole experience, my guiding experience there, now I'm, you know, I'm guiding backpacking trips and I actually am starting to guide internationally with other guiding groups. So Expeditions, which is an all women's expedition company, took me on for, uh, as a assistant guide for Aconcagua, which is a almost 23,000 foot mountain <laughs> down in Argentina. So that's what I was doing, uh, pretty much all of January, um, was, was down guiding in Argentina, which for me, you know, it's, it's a dream come true. And I just have to pinch myself every time I think about it that, you know, wow, I'm guiding peaks in, out of the country. <laughs> um, and all because I, I took a chance to be turned down at, you know, this little guiding company in Mount Shasta. I just love, I, I love everything about it. Like that's what, and it gets me all fired up because I'm, because sometimes I want to shake people and be like, you, you can have this too. Like you can, you can do this too. You just got to take the first step and you don't need to know all the answers along the way. It's not like you quit being a vet you know, in the vet field, in vet medicine to say, well, I'm going to be a guide at Mount Shasta in six years. Like that wasn't how it works. It's not how it works. No, the mind not may not have certainty. It may not have certainty. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I definitely never expected to be a guide in, in this capacity. And, um, you know, it's, it is something, you know, I, at one point I did think about like, oh, maybe I should get into backpack guiding, but I never thought that I would, ever actually do that. Um, and then now, you know, here I am in, in, you know, guiding backpacking trips and, and big mountain expeditions and, and stuff like that. It's like, it is a dream come true, but it's also a dream that I didn't really know that I had, um, until I started pursuing it really. Um, you know, it was kind of one of those things that started off as a, well, maybe this could be fun. And it's developed into something that, you know, I, I can't imagine not doing it now. And it's all training. Like it's, it's all supporting this love of FKTs. Like it's all training. You're still training your body, like going out and mm -hmm. backpacking. And now you're getting paid to do what you love and you get to share it with people. And there's a great three minute video on your Instagram page from that expedition in Argentina. It's just, it's so, I can't believe they put all that in three minutes. It's really cool. I recommend everybody go check that out. Um, but, and that was a group of women that you were down there guiding. And so I know you like to put a spotlight on women in the wild. So can you tell us about your, your podcast? Yeah. Um, so I, you know, after I started kind of pursuing more of these outdoor endeavors, I actually had the realization that, you know, being outdoors 
especially for me, um, was extremely empowering. It was very, it's, it's very healing. Um, and it's something that I want to share with more people and especially women, because there's, there's a huge gender gap, um, in women and getting outdoors and, you know, even in, you know, trail running, there's a huge gender gap. And I don't remember exactly what it is, but I think in ultra marathons, uh, female finishers are at like 30% of the entire, uh, population of ultra runners or something like that. Um, so there's this huge gender gap and, for me, knowing how healing and how powerful and empowering the outdoors can be, I wanted to see more women getting outside um, to take care of themselves, to take care of their mental health, to um, pursue, you know, big audacious goals. Um, and so I started wondering, how can, how can I get more women outside? How can I inspire people more? Um, and my solution was to start a podcast, <laughs> um, to share stories, to share, um, training tidbits and nutrition and, and all of these things that can help people get outside. And honestly, it's not just for women. I do interview most like all women on the podcast. Um, but I've had plenty of guys reach out to me and kind of going, wow, you know, that was really valuable. Thank you for sharing that story. Or, you know, my wife and I listened to it together and, and she found that really powerful. And I want to thank you. And there's so many, there's, there's so many reasons that guys can listen to this podcast too. It's not just for women, but, um, so yeah, women of the wild was, was made to try and inspire and get more women outside. Um, and because of that, I've, I've been able to not just share some of my stories, but also a lot of other women's stories, um, in the outdoors and, and how they got started. And, um, it's, it's been a really fun trip to, <laughs> to, to start with that. So when you think of like the interviews that you've done, is there a story that just boom pops in your mind right now? It doesn't have to be like the most amazing one. Cause I'm sure they're all amazing, but is there one that just kind of left a mark on you? Um, some of the conversations you've had? Oh, I've had, a lot of good conversations um, because of that. Some of them are a little bit more difficult to to have. Um, like I talked to Jillian Brown about PTSD um, that she got from an abusive relationship. And I, you know, it really resonated. Her story really resonated with me because of my history and my experience with that. Um, but then because we shared our stories and she shared her experiences um, with those situations, she also was able to share like how um, the outdoors has changed her life and helped her heal and, and stuff like that. And I had a lot of people reach out to me afterwards who were touched by her story, who, you know, it really resonated with because they've experienced the same thing. It gave them hope. I mean, there's a, a, a lot of reasons to, um, to listen to that one. And, um, so Jillian Brown, that was a, that was a really big one for me. Um, she actually opened my eyes a bit to, to some things when it comes to PTSD and, um, but then, you know, just like really rad stories like Kelly Halpin and her mountain endeavors. You know, she's, she's such a badass. She's located in Jackson, Wyoming, and, uh, she's an artist and an athlete and she does really amazing, uh, solo mountain objectives. Um, 
so that was that one was another one that was pretty pretty great and then um I had a whole conversation with Sunny Strower about uh failure which was a mm. really really fun podcast to to do mm. Oh yeah. I want to go listen to that one. Um, what's one takeaway that you've had from failure? I know there's probably many because you use these failures to your advantage to grow and to become better and, and to reach new heights. But, uh, what's a takeaway for you that's really settled in from failure? I, so with, I've had a lot of experience with failure, I feel like, and a lot of people hear the word failure and they, they take it in a negative way. Like failure, I did not succeed. I messed up or, you know, there's, there's all these reasons to look at failure in a really negative way. Um, I see failure as being a formative experience. Uh So you can fail at something, but you can um, learn from that. And so if you're willing to take whatever failure it is that you had and kind of dissect it, um, you know, set your feelings aside, dissect it, what actually happened? What went wrong? What can you learn from this? Um, and so I think, I think failure can be one of the best learning experiences out there. And honestly, some of my favorite adventures that I've had have not succeeded in what I actually set out to do, but I had still had a wonderful adventure. I still had a great day on the mountain or, um, use something like that. And so, yeah, I, I don't, I don't see failure as a, as a bad thing. Hmm. Your your mindset, and I heard this um, just listening to you now. Your mindset seems very clear. It seems very clear, and you can sift and sort through the noise. What seems clear, I'm sure you're probably like, no. I mean, there's stuff going on up there all the time. <laughs> um, you were talking about mindset in in one of these. Uh, somebody had asked you a question in, in one of these podcasts I was listening to, and you talked about mantras, which was a big thing um, for you that you kind of beam yourself into the you know present moment is really what a mantra does. Um, but you also talked about, which really, uh, which really resonated and opened my eyes was, you know, when you're, when you're struggling or feeling sensation or, or intense, the intenseness of the moment, maybe in a race and you're, you're deep within it, asking yourself, is this normal? Like, is this normal? And, and I've been in endurance sports, I would say for 20 years, and I never, I haven't quite looked at it like that. Like when you're at mile, you know, of a 50K, you're at mile, you know, 30, of course, yeah, things are going to feel not good. <laughs> like this is, you're putting yourself in this scenario. Um, maybe you can speak a little bit more to that and to how you, like, how you sort of trained your brain or sifted, or maybe you had that aha moment that you were able to shift from this sucks to, oh my God, this is exactly what it should feel like in this moment. Yeah. Well, I, I think some of that comes from experience. Um, mm. you know, I've, I've had plenty of ultra distance, um, efforts kind of go awry where, you know, I, I just couldn't manage my feelings of discomfort or anything or something like that. And just, just kind of let it, let myself fall apart. Um, but I, I do think that, you know, when I, when I go into a big effort, there's going to be some level of pain and discomfort. And for example, you know, during the tuck up trail FKT that I did with my friend, Sunny, um, that's like a 80 something mile trail. Um, it's not really a trail. It's mostly off 
trail route finding um, along the north rim of the Grand Canyon. It's very remote. Um, we got about halfway through and to this point where we could bail if we wanted to. It was an easy bailout option. And we stopped there and kind of discussed, you know, we're, we're both really uncomfortable. We're both pretty dehydrated. Um, we both considered quitting. But once we sat and kind of talked to each other, it was like, you know, why, why would I quit right now? Because my feet hurt? Well, you know, I'm 40 plus miles into an 80 mile effort. Of course, my feet are going to hurt um, because I'm tired. Well, you know, of course, I'm, I'm in the middle of a two day long effort with very little sleep. Of course, I'm going to be tired. Um, those are normal things to feel at that moment. And so kind of taking a step back and going, well, I expected this. I expected my feet hurt. I expected my muscles to ache. I expected to be tired. Um, that's normal. Okay. Well, then why would I quit? Why, why would I stop right now when these are all things that are expected? And so I think kind of changing your mindset on what normal is within those moments, um, helps to overcome them. And so, you know, when Sunny and I sat down and had that conversation during the tuck up trail, it was kind of like, oh, okay. Well, neither one of us are, you know, having a, a massive mental breakdown for any reason. We're still totally fine. We, you know, we we still have water. We're not, you know, we're not going to starve to death. We have plenty of food. It was kind of like, well, why, why would we quit? Let's keep going. Um, and so having that kind of conversation with yourself, I think is really helpful. I started having that mindset shift. I think, um, as I started getting into longer and longer efforts and especially when I set out on unsupp like really long unsupported efforts. So for example, um, the Lost Coast Trail, which is like a 58-mile trail through the King Range wilderness. And um, it's it's really remote. It's uh, kind of on the coast of Northern California. Extremely remote, especially the second half of, of the whole thing. It's really challenging. It's very remote. And I remember getting about three quarters, three quarters of the way through and sitting down on the side of the trail going, I want to quit. I was on the verge of tears and I'm like, I want to quit so bad. And then I couldn't help but laugh at myself because I'm like, look at where I'm at. <laughs> I can't do anything about it. What am I going to do? Like who, nobody's going to come and carry me out. There's no way for a car to come pick me up. I can't, I'm not going to call a helicopter. I can still move just fine, you know? And I couldn't help but laugh at myself because I kind of was like, what am I doing? I'm feeling sorry for myself when I should just keep moving forward. And, um, so those kinds of experiences where I was like, there's, there's literally nothing I can do right now except for just keep going. Um, that helped that mindset shift a little bit. Um, and now every single time I have one of those experiences where I'm like, oh, I want to quit so bad. I laugh at myself because I'm like, well, what am I going to do about it? <laughs> I'm not going to call a helicopter. You know, my, my leg's not broken. Um, so yeah, no keep... one's coming for you. Nobody's coming. <laughs> Nobody, yeah. Nobody is coming for you. That's so true. Um, but I think when we look at, so you're just looking at the thoughts you're having, right? And when we look at the thoughts, we get, we, we get to 
create a little space that allows us to really, you know, see, are they valid? Are they true? Are they, are they what mm-hmm. I need to follow right now in, in this, uh, in this moment? And many of the times it's just kind of that hardwiring in us, right? We're uncomfortable and we live in these bodies that are hardwired for comfort and energy conservation. And when you're out there doing a huge multi-day effort, like, of course your body's going to be in distress. Um, yeah, I think it's a beautiful technique. I hope people people use that because we can get caught in that, you know, catastrophizing mind and then it's just a really big energy suck. Um energy that you need to get out of this, you know, remote wilderness where you are. So, um okay, I want to hear if you can share anything that's upcoming for you for you because word on the trail is that you got a girl from the East Coast who's like climbing up the ladder behind you. <laughs> is, is she still is she still we're, at it? What's her deal? Yeah, yeah, we're we're neck and neck. She's actually we've had some conversations. She's she's very very nice. We might end up doing some FKTs together, but we are we are neck and neck right now and um it's it's kind of exciting for me because I do get a little bit of that competition uh feeling, but I mean, she's she's really fast and she's really <laughs> driven, and so we'll see what happens. But um, yeah, I, I I do have a lot of plans for this year for some shorter FKTs, for some really long FKTs. Um, I don't have anything on the books as of yet because um, I'm actually still recovering a bit from the whole Aconcagua COVID situation. Um, and so, yeah, I don't have anything set in stone, but I have a lot of plans. I have a lot of plans in my head. <laughs> um, I've started a list of FKTs that are really close by so that I, you know, things nearby that I can, um, kind of focus on and get my training back in line again. And, and, um, but yeah, I'm, I'm really excited. I'm, you know, I, I've never actually announced that I want to be the first woman to reach 100 FKTs, but I mean, let's be honest, it's it's definitely something. I mean, that's a goal. Like, who who wouldn't want to do that? I, you know, especially at my point at this point where I think I'm at 53 FKTs, 52 or 53, and um, it's like, wow, you know, I've I've gotten over the halfway mark. Like, mm-hmm. why not just keep going? And I still, yeah. still love doing them. So yeah, I'm just going to keep pushing and kind of see what happens at this point. Oh, it's so exciting. I love it. Um, this has been a great conversation. How can people get more of you? Like, where can they find you? Where can they find the podcast? Yeah. So um, my Instagram is ashley.winchester and it's Ashley with no E, so A-S-H-L-Y that Winchester. Um, I'm pretty responsive and active on Instagram. Um, Facebook, you can find me under the same name. I'm not as responsive on Facebook. It kind of just regurgitates my Instagram. Um, but yeah, you can find me on there too. And then the podcast, um, the best way right now is the Instagram, which is womenofthewild.pod. And, um, I'm actually in the process of building a new website. Um, I just rebranded women of the wild and I've got some really cool interviews coming up. So, um, I'm really excited to, to kind of see where that goes. Yeah. You wouldn't have time for this if you were working 60 hours Mm -hmm. a week at your job. No, no, absolutely not. (laughs) And (laughs) I mean, I, I love the podcasting and you guys, I mean, obviously you do too. Um, it's just so fun to meet so many different people and, and yeah, be able to impact and inspire your listeners is pretty, pretty cool thing. 
Yeah, well, I think you did that today for us. So thank you so much. Yeah, we really you. appreciate your time. Um, I'm very grateful for for Jody for reaching out to us and and um, bringing you into our awareness, and for Linda for you know getting this podcast put uh, put together for us. And tell Jason that we will be coming for him um, and get him on the show because I'd love to talk to him yeah, as rumor, well. Rumor has it he was a triathlete at one point. Ooh, yeah, and he's yeah. actually getting back into being a triathlete. Oh. So. <laughs> Yeah, you guys, yeah, you should definitely go after him. Um, cool. And uh, yeah, thank you, Jody, for hooking us up like this. This is great.